from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching on the National NRB Network, Channel 378, or if you're listening on the radio at KUTR AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you. And if you have family or friends who cannot get Heart of the Matter uh, through a television network, Give them a call and tell them to go to www.hotm.tv and they can watch Heart of the Matter live from anywhere in the world through streaming video. Also at that website, hotm.tv, they can uh, look in our archives and see any show they want going back all the way through 2006. Of course, there's no better book uh, on the face of the earth than the Bible. It's where I spend the majority of my time studying, but if you are looking for what we believe is an even-keeled understanding of Mormonism, along with a better understanding of what it means to be born again, we want to introduce you to this book right here, uh, I Was a Born-Again Mormon. Having been LDS for over 40 years and becoming a born-again Christian, we think that this book gives a, a good perspective of what it means to be a doctrinal Latter-day Saint or Mormon and what it means to be a biblical Christian. I Was a Born Again Mormon is available wherever reputable Christian books are sold or you can order it online directly through us at www.bornagainmormon.com. At Aletheia Ministries, our uh, mission statement is really simple. It's to reach, to teach, and to serve. Under Teach, we host weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible studies, never denominational, right here in the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. If you're interested in joining us, go to www.calvarycampus.com. And uh, for information like times and directions, you can also listen to all or any of the sermons that we uh, or teachings that we have there at the Bible studies right there on the site too, calvarycampus.com. We receive hundreds of emails uh, a week from all over the world from people interested or connected to Mormonism or Christianity. Um, recently, a man named Aaron, who is LDS, wrote and asked, at the height of your active years as a Latter-day Saint, when you were, as you describe yourself, a Nazi Mormon, if you died at the time, do you think you would have gone to hell? I thought the question was really interesting and it caused me to reflect both on my heart for the Lord at that time as a full active Latter-day Saint and the implications of my response to the question today. So let me say this first. 
without exception, I would never ever think I am qualified to suggest that any specific individual of any disposition is in hell or is going to hell. It's just not my call to make that decision, nor is it yours. My call is to share gospel truths with the hope of trying to help some keep some people from ever going there. Additionally, however, I can't deny that there is such a place as hell and that it is the destination of any who reject God's gracious gift. Getting back to my person as an active Mormon, I know I was not born again at that time. Therefore, I did not know the true and living God. Now, Jesus said to Nicodemus and John, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus said in John 17, 3, And this is life eternal. This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So as an active, believing, not born again, not knowing the only true uh, God or Jesus whom he sent, I think I can say for myself at that time, if I had been taken from the earth, I would have gone straight to hell. Uh, how about you? Have you been born again? Can you say that you know the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent? If you don't or you can't say that, you can. Keep listening. We'll talk about that later on. And with that, let's have a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, need you desperately and we thank you for what you're doing uh, in our lives in this state and in the hearts of people all over the world. We pray that you will be with us, be with our volunteers, be with our staff, be with the people who are here in our audience and out there in the audience, in the television world, wherever they may be. We pray that you will open up the invitation for them to see you and for them to have a relationship with you directly outside of religious affiliation. We pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Men and women of pride do not like to belong to the rabble or the status quo or the masses. They like to own and possess things that are cutting edge, to feel advanced and above what the common rabble dabbles in. They also enjoy belonging to elitist clubs with limited memberships, owning what is scarce and unavailable. And in the realm of religion, possessing special knowledge or privileges and or knowing super secrets to supposedly getting them eternal life. Almost from the moment Jesus established his church here on earth, and I remind you that that church is made of people believing, not of brick and mortar buildings, a proud group stepped in and they sought to take hold of his gospel by claiming to possess secret insights or knowledge to things that were not realized by the common Christian. This group were known as Gnostics. And that's just another word. It's a Greek word for knowing, gnosis, the Gnostics. And they claimed to know secret special things that nobody else knew. And uh, it kept them distinct and therefore more advanced by claiming to have possession of some unrevealed secret gnosis.
Tonight in our study of Mormon doctrines as compared to the Bible, we are going to examine what might seem to you to be a very minor, uh, insignificant difference in the Christian Mormon comparative. But in the end, like a single termite it, in a giant wooden house, it can lead to the complete erosion of the true perspective of the true and living God and his son who he has sent. The topic tonight, the LDS position that Christ's atonement occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane. To Bible-believing Christians, Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane was a preparatory time of prayer and temptation prior to his turning himself and his will over to the Father and to sinful man to uh, endure the cross. But to the LDS, the cross was more the place where Jesus simply suffered physical death, while the Garden of Gethsemane is the place where he actually atoned for sin which makes it their place of focus and the cross more of a place they simply acknowledge as the thing that killed him. Tonight, we will prove that this teaching is not only false, but hopefully we will expose it for what it really is. Just another group trying to proudly differentiate themselves from the common rabble of Bible-believing Christians. The problem with the LDS doctrine that the Lord's atonement occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane is not only that it is false, but that it takes away from the real place of atonement that the Bible speaks of, which is the cross. I would imagine that if Satan can ever accomplish getting people to take their eyes off truth uh, and truths of the gospel and to redirect them onto something that is not true, he gets his foot in the door to even more error. Now, in the Bible... No, excuse me, nowhere in the Bible is Gethsemane or a garden referred to as the place of atonement. But late LDS apostle Bruce R. McConkie wrote in his book, The Promised Messiah, page 337, quote, Forgiveness is available because Christ the Lord sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane as he bore the incalculable weight of the sins of all who ever had or ever would repent. Just so there's no question on the Mormon uh, position regarding Jesus uh, taking the sins of the world upon himself in the garden, the Book of Mormon says in Isaiah 3, 7, And lo, he, meaning Jesus, shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than any man can suffer, except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish, for the wickedness and abominations of his people. So he's saying in the Book of Mormon that the blood came out of his every pore for the wickedness and abominations of his people. The late LDS prophet and President Ezra Taft Benson said, quote, it was in Gethsemane that Jesus took on himself the sins of the world. In Gethsemane that his pain was equivalent to the cumulative burden of all men. In Gethsemane that he descended below all things so that all could repent and come to him. End quote. Separating themselves even further from Bible-believing Christians, the world over LDS Apostle McConkie wrote in New Testament Doctrinal Commentary, quote, And as he, Jesus, came out of the garden delivering himself voluntarily into the hands of wicked men, the victory had been won. 
He goes on to say, there remained yet the shame and pain of his arrest, his trial and the cross. But all of these were overshadowed by the agonies and suffering in Gethsemane. It was on the cross that he suffered death in the flesh. Listen to what he adds here. Even as many as have suffered agonizing deaths. So they equate the death on the cross and what he did on the cross, just like any common criminal has died there on the cross. But it was in Gethsemane, he says, that he suffered the pains of all men, that all men might repent and come unto him. What would cause McConkie and Benson and other LDS leaders to point to the Garden of Gethsemane over the cross as the place of atonement? An abhorrence of biblical Christianity and a proud desire to be different than us foolish Christians. There's other things they include in that uh, package to make themselves different, these twists in, in their twistianity, but this is a big one. You have to understand this, and it, this is gonna sting some of you, but Mormons have never liked the Christian focus on the cross. To them, it, become, it comes across as this backwooded barbarism. McConkie arrogantly wrote, quote, the sectarian world falsely supposed that the climax of Jesus' torture and suffering was on the cross, a view which they keep ever before them by the constant use of the cross as a religious symbol. This attitude of mocking our love and appreciation for the cross is nothing new to the Bible-believing person. However, if we recall Paul, he wrote in 1 Corinthians, listen, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Also in 1 Corinthians it says, but we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. McConkie had to have been a Greek. <laughs> now, Today's LDS defenders might say that I'm quoting old LDS leaders like McConkie, but even in the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, the latter, which con it confirms that the Latter-day Saints say that Jesus atoned for the sins of the world in the garden. And in 2004, LDS apostle M. Russell Nelson said, speaking of Jesus, quote, there in the quiet isolation of the Garden of Gethsemane, he knelt among the gnarled olive trees, and in some incredible way that none of us can comprehend, the Savior took upon himself the sins of the world. Having been LDS 40 years, I can tell you that these statements and other statements like them cause people to miss the point of the cross, dismiss the cross, to see another Jesus, to discount the meaning of his suffering, and to actually revise the truths of Jesus' atoning work. It is a purposeful act of twistianity. Now, what does it really matter whether the atonement, since there's an admittance of an atonement going on, whether it was on the cross or not? It, it matters for several reasons. First, we want to seek and we want to know truth and only the truth. To accept something that may not be a truth when we have evidence that the truth does exist is ridiculous. In a minute, we're going to show you how big of a lie this teaching is. And, uh, and if they lie about a singular issue like this, what else are they willing to lie about? Second, where one lie is embraced, others will follow. The writer of, Jews tell, uh, of, Jews, the writer of Jude tells us, listen, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, meaning earnestly defend and present the faith 
the apostles of Jesus have already given you. That's what that verse says. And not to continue to deliver and alter another. So don't give these guys an inch in their myths because they will take a mile and before you know it, you're gonna have a vacant look on your face and you'll be singing praise to the man and thinking that it's right, all right? Finally, and as I said, we are talking about the Lord's suffering for sin. And by taking away the full import of this vicarious work on our behalf, we reduce the importance of his suffering altogether. And I don't want to do that, and I don't think anybody else would either. So what are the facts of Gethsemane, and how can we defend against this LDS twist while showing those who have believed these lies that the Bible says differently? I'm going to give you nine factors to consider about this errant LDS claim relative to the Garden of Gethsemane being the place of atonement for sin. And you see who's right, those LDS prophets and apostles and what they claim or what these nine points suggest. You ready? Number one, Jesus shed blood was for centuries typified by the children of Israel's animal sacrifice. And the animals that were sacrificed had their blood shed at the hands of another man, of a man. Never did an animal sit somewhere and suffer and, and suffer and sweat blood, as it were, as a type or a picture of the atonement to come. The animal's life was always taken by a man, a mortal man. The LDS view of the garden has absolutely no biblical connection to the animal sacrifices of the Old Covenant, which were a picture of the Lord's shedding of blood to come. Number two, it's important to realize the connection of atonement for sin and the shame of sin itself. There is a reason Jesus was taken to a well-traveled spot outside the city limits to be crucified. There was a reason he was stripped of his clothing, that he was humiliated, shamed, mocked, derided, and publicly denounced. To suffer quietly and relatively alone in the garden for the sins of the world is not a picture for what sin itself produces in a person. Because sin produces shame, embarrassment, public humiliation, and being removed from the presence of those we love, cast out, as it were, from the city limits. All of these things were a product of his crucifixion and death on the cross. And none of those things would have been satisfied by a private personal suffering in the garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews tells us that for our sin, Jesus, quote, endured the cross despite its inherent shame, it says. Additionally, it's difficult for us to imagine the absolute indignity of suffering death by Roman crucifixion. And this is partly because we, we love what Jesus did for us on the cross. We might forget of what that meant for him to get put on that, uh, that object of death. Before Jesus took that position on that post of terror, only the most vile, heinous, twisted men that were hated by society were hung from them. Anybody, anyone who was crucified was seen as the lowest of low of low, just like our state is before God when we are in unrepented uh, uh, sin. On the cross, Jesus became sin for us, not in the garden. Three, the line that Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood is found only in the Gospel of Luke, which does not mean it's not true. 
It's quite possibly true, but the way it's written, it could suggest that his sweat was so profuse that the drops were heavy and large, like a great drop of blood would be, rather than small, lighter drops that sweat produces. I personally believe that Jesus could have and probably did sweat blood in the garden as his temptation there was immense. But the fact that Luke says, as it were, great drops of blood, and the fact that only Luke writes it makes the LDS teaching uh, that this is where Jesus atoned for sin far more remote. Now, had all four gospel writers included that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus had sweat uh, drops of blood, uh, it, it might support more the idea that this was part of the atonement. But because Luke only references it and he says it as it were great drops of blood, that doesn't lend anything to their argument. Fourth, it's noteworthy that John the Beloved pretty much omits everything about the garden events altogether. I would think that if Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon and his Latter-day Saints cronies like Apostle Nelson, who uh, were, if they were correct... Um, then John, who loved and lived with Jesus, he would have covered more about the importance of the garden in his gospel if it was actually the place of atonement. But he doesn't even hardly mention it, that it even uh, occurred. Fifth, in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus prays three times that the Father, if it was possible, would take this cup from him, meaning by taking our sin, uh, that this taking, his taking our sin, that it would pass, but that his father's will would be done. Once Jesus was outside of the garden of Gethsemane, facing the temple soldiers that Judas brought, and Peter comes along and he chops off Malchus's ear, Jesus says to Peter, listen, put up thy sword in the sheath, the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? It was like Jesus was saying, Peter, I just overcame the temptation uh, that was to follow my own will and put this cup aside. But now you're stepping in here and you're impeding what I was sent to do, to drink of the cup which the Father gave me to drink. Put away your sword and let's get this thing going. Additionally, while in the garden and many times before he took his passion, Jesus speaks of his hour. Once his trial in Gethsemane was over, Matthew and Mark report, quote, Then comes Jesus to his disciples and said to them who were sleeping in the garden of Gethsemane, Sleep on now and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. This hour is at hand. I would suggest this hour did not begin was not at hand until after Jesus overcame his fleshly temptation to not do it, and he turned himself into the hands of sinners to do with him as far as the Father would let them. Seven, in all of the Bible, as I said, the suffering for sin is repeatedly equated to the cross, but never to the Garden of Gethsemane. Check out our show on the, uh, that we did on the cross on April 6th of 2010 in the archives if you want more information on that. Eight, and this is an important one, my friends. Um, while Jesus was in the garden, Luke reports that God sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him, okay? However, once Jesus was on the cross and had taken our sins upon him, the Father abandoned him, leaving him to his own devices and sending no angels to strengthen him. Why? Because Jesus was paying for our sins on the cross and not in the garden. And this imputed sin that Jesus took on himself on the cross separated him for the first time in eternity 
from his connection to the Father. And how did Jesus respond? You remember, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He communed openly with the Father in the garden. He talked with him about, you're going to let this pass three times. And the Father sent an angel there to strengthen him while he was being tempted to not do it. But, uh, and that was the Father's will. It's illogical to think that if God poured his wrath out upon his son for our sins in the garden, that he would at the same time send an angel there to strengthen him. That's not what he did on the cross. On the cross is when he was left. Get it? In conclusion, what actually happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? There's one more point, point nine. That is, if Jesus had atoned for sins of the world in the garden, it's amazing that he then walked out. He had the strength to knock over all those guys who were there waiting for him when they saw him. He had the strength to walk all the way to Ananias, all the way to uh, uh, Herod, all the way back to Pilate, to converse with Pilate, to talk logically with Pilate, stay up all night. He still had this strength within him. So what that tacitly does is it takes Jesus' atonement, like the LDSA was occurring in the garden, and they say it was no big deal. He walked out of there fine. It's absolutely unconscionable the way they twist scripture just in order to feel like they have some Gnostic uh, knowledge for you to believe like you're superior because you have the fuller truth and not be associated with us lowly uh, Christians out there who just think so much of this cross. What was Jesus doing there? He was preparing to face the most extreme and ultimate suffering imaginable for him. And that was being separated from his father on high and then being physically tortured uh, in the process. So horrible was the task that even Jesus, God in the flesh, asked the father if there was any other way. Can this cup pass, father? And what did the father say? He said, no. Three times, no. Jesus was not above temptation. In fact, scripture tells us that he suffered and faced all temptation. And Satan was not about to leave our king alone when he was about to embark on the only act that would overcome his power and his reign once and for all. This was the trial of the garden. Jesus overcoming the very natural urge and desire to let this horrific cup pass. And we praise God that he did it, don't we? Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please turn your TV sets down, please. LDS callers preferred. And now if you're watching on the NRB network, channel 378, do not call in. You're watching an episode of Heart of the Matter that was recorded earlier. With that, let's take a minute, hear about our partners program, and we'll come back and take your calls. I'm Sean McCraney, you're watching Heart of the Matter. Television is becoming an expensive proposition for us. And so we developed a program called Partners for those who are led of the Lord to participate and uh, are in a position to. Now why, with all the great Christian ministries out there, would you want to partner with Aletheia Ministries? Let me give you a couple reasons. One, we try to use your funds optimally. That means every dollar is used to get the, the program on television, on streaming video throughout the world, on, in our archives, and now on Dish TV beginning on uh, the 8th 
of June. Second, Mormonism is growing strong. 65,000 missionaries every day knocking on doors. 850 people per day coming out of evangelical Christianity and joining Mormonism. Uh, finally, the Lord has blessed the, the ministry with great fruit. We're so appreciative. How to partner with us? Couple ways. First, you can uh, go online to www.hotm.tv and just look on how to partner and go from there. Second, you can call us at 888-868-4686 or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. We truly appreciate all of your support, all of it. God bless you as you consider partnering with us in the future. Welcome back. Just had a good friend, Wendy, tell us that Don Ritchie in Tennessee, I think it was, said, uh, you know, it's not take up your garden. garden. Don't pick up your garden. What? But pick up your cross. Don't pick up your garden, pick up your cross. And that's really, really a good point. You know, the scripture says, pick up your cross, take up your cross. And, uh, you know, it's just so foolish that these men in these suits and this attitude and this tone that they just they just lead people along with this garbage authoritatively when the word of God says otherwise. It's just horrible. So, you know, it's an important night tonight because tonight here on June 8th, 2010, uh, Heart of the Matter is going to air uh, on the NRB network uh, hitting uh, hitting. Uh, over or approximately another 60 million households across the United States of America. And uh, yeah, praise God. And uh, so we're really excited. It won't be this program, but it's another one that they have. And so we're really blessed for that. So keep that in your prayers, my friends. We have uh, Anonymous from Spanish Fork, first time caller. Anonymous, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Anonymous. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Um, I have a kind of a hard question. Um, my whole entire family for generations have been LDS, and uh, I am not. I have been born again, I guess, and um, they kind of have the family thing where they do the Bible study and the prayer, and I've kind of asked to, to join, and they've kind of said, oh, no, we don't have the same Bible. How do I go about starting to get their eyes open? Well, uh, they do have the same Bible. I mean, they, they have the King James Version, except its, its headings have been produced by LDS men, modern men. But, I mean, in terms of the text, the text itself is, is the same King James Version as you would have. So are they studying the Book of Mormon, perhaps? Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's going to be probably on a case-by-case -case basis, your individual relationship with different people, and just look for people who uh, maybe are a little bit more uh, open to seeking, and uh, just start with one. It starts, in, in our experience, what I've seen, it starts with one person willing to kind of step out and say, no, that king is naked on that horse. And then everyone else starts going, he is, isn't he? So don't be afraid, but just start with a few others and maybe not try to get involved in their uh, family Bible studies. Okay, I'll give it a try. I've been working on it, but it hasn't worked out so far. <laughs> yeah, keep going to the Lord. It's, it's a tough, tough road, but, but he'll open the way in time. Okay, thank you. Thanks for, for watching. Yep. Okay, bye. Night. 
We're going to Robbie in Provo. Robbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yo, how's it going? Good, Robbie. How are you? Good. Uh, to tell you the truth, I am LDS, and I love my church. You're and, LDS? Uh, are you one of those fire and brimstone preachers? What does that mean? Like, do you actually believe that there's fire in hell? Oh, yeah, I do believe there is fire and brimstone. That's what, that's what Jesus said. I mean, I trust his words. He talked about burning. He talked about the smoke ascends up forever and ever. He talked about fire. He talked about everlasting punishment. So I do believe that, yeah. Well, did you also know it's a sin for a man to have long hair and for a woman to wear pants? Yeah, and, 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 and I don't think it says jeans in the Bible, but that was a really good attempt. Uh, and maybe it is, it doesn't say a sin to have long hair. It says a shame. And maybe that's, that's true. And maybe at that time that was true. But it doesn't say sin. It doesn't say genes. So what's your point here? Robbie, who loves love the you. LDS. Robbie, why that's do you right. love the LDS? Why do, you love, why do you love your church, Robbie? Because I love my God. And I know it's true. For I have prayed a lot. How do you know it's true, Robbie? Because the Spirit guides me. Okay, now how does that spirit that guides you and tells you Mormonism is true, different than the spirit that guided, let's say, the people at Waco, Texas, or Jonestown, or every Muslim, or, or is everything they say true too? Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, is everybody true? Nope, just us. <laughs> and how come just you, Robbie? Because, first of all, in shape people there are. Second of all, we're one of the few people to ever beat the United States government and still be standing. Third of all... Wait, wait, wait a second. Stop, stop, stop. When did you beat the United States government? Let's see, when we first came to Salt Lake, or not Salt Lake, but the mountains of Utah. Don't smoke crap when you read your, when you read your uh, church history, dude. You did not have a battle with the United States government and beat them. Yeah, we did. We had a militia, buddy. Oh, man. What else? Robbie, you love your God, and you know that the church is true. How do you know it's true, Robbie? Because I pray. And so, again, and my question is, what about those other people who pray, and they know that Jim Jones was really a true prophet? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, the, well, what I'll but tell I you is you. that you're deluded, is that you've but been I misled. You. You know, you, I love you. You've asked me to tell you, so I'm telling you. You're following a guy, you're following a man named Joseph Smith. And if you just take the time, go to utlm.org and you just read the history from your own history and from your own manuals and you read what he was about. How could you say you believe this church is true if you learn the facts? I don't know, but I still love you. Well, I'm glad you love me. I love you too. That's why I'm on the air. And that's why I'm trying me? to tell you the facts about this faith. Will you marry me? Oh, Robbie, now you just, now you just lost it, man. I thought you may be kind of serious, but you're really not, are you? All right, guy, you take it easy, dude. Take it easy. All right, we're going to Bill in Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. Hey, Bill. I, this is just in comment to the book that you wrote, uh, Born Again Mormon. So it, when I read some of that, you mentioned that when you kind of like left the church, you kind of you read some other materials, and one of those you mentioned was the the works by Joseph Campbell. Sure. And I was just curious. I've read a lot of his stuff. On myth. Yeah, 
And uh, I really like how he correlates the symbolism of the cross. So I was just, you know, interested in your comment on, you know, it kind of really helped me kind of like go from being uh, active LDS into kind of thinking more, you know, metaphorically versus literally. Yeah. So if you could just comment on your experience on that, I'd appreciate it. Oh, yeah, Bill. Really quickly, uh, my journey out of Mormonism was not just I read something, found out that Joseph Smith had young teenage brides that were kept secret and left. I really had to really search because I wanted it to be true so badly. And Joseph Campbell was just one that helped me understand how easily societies, including some in Christian culture, will take things and how myth can take a hold of, of people's minds and hearts. So I had to, that was part of the process. I wasn't afraid to study uh, communism or anything else because I, I don't believe you can go wrong if your heart is open to search with searching. And so Campbell helped me a lot. Of course, he's highly questionable, and of, uh, of course, he's probably not looked upon favorably by Christians, but he helped me a lot. So did Marx, you know, who was, who was essentially godless. But nevertheless, if you truly, Bill, are searching for truth and you're open to having truth come to you, you will find it. Okay. All right, does that help? Yeah, it does. All right, my friend, thanks for watching. Thanks for calling. All right, bye. Okay, bye. We're going to go to Tisa, Tina and Payson in a minute. There's a question on the screen. If the atonement was in the garden, why did Jesus say uh, it is finished on the cross? That's a good question. That was one of my points I was going to say, but I scratched it off. And the reason I did is because the LDS response is, well, the cross is the completion of the atonement. The cross was the completed uh thing of the atonement, but that it began in the garden, that's where sin was taken care of, and his physical death is what is going to help us overcome, uh, help us to be resurrected, which was the final part of the atonement. So when he said it is finished, the LDS would say that's when it was totally complete. I want to bring something to your uh, minds right now, which many Christians may not uh, even understand, but I think you'll agree with in the end. The atonement, I personally believe, began the moment Jesus stepped out of that garden and said, Take me. The moment he was put into their control, the atonement began. It began when he started getting slapped. It began when they said, prophesy, who hit you? It began when they blindfolded him because all the rest of the time in his life, he escaped out from the control of men. But as soon as he said, okay, Father, not my will but yours, and he turned himself over, that's when the atonement began. And let me give you a justification for it. It didn't just happen on the cross because Isaiah says that with his stripes, we are healed. And it was with the stripes of him being beaten and, and Pilate's uh, being scourged under Pilate's control that those stripes occurred. That was before the cross. So I personally believe this is not doctrine. It's out there. If I'm wrong, God forgive me. But I believe the atonement began when Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Go ahead and take me. Okay. Uh, Tina in Payson on line one. Tina, you're on Heart of the Matter. Tina is... Tina. Tina? She's gone. All right, a question from Ricky in Montrose. I think it's Canada. I've heard you demean feelings on your program. Don't Christians believe in feelings? Uh, yes, Christians believe in feelings. Feelings can be very powerful, and they can be from God, yes. But there is an order to feelings that Christians uh, uh, embrace, and, and that is this. First, we have facts. 
Just imagine a train and that's the, the engine. Those are facts, okay? Behind those facts is a car connected to it and that car is faith. So we have facts, the Bible was written in Jerusalem, a fact, I have faith in that, I trust that, I believe that, the book is here. And then at the end of that, the caboose are feelings. Okay, so you take all those, but you always have your engine being pushed by facts, by faith supporting those facts, and then feelings. Now, the LDS, they switch it. They make that engine feelings. And then the second thing, faith, and then the last thing, fact. Because the caboose is fact. I mean, look at the Book of Mormon. There is no facts for this stuff. There's no facts for Joseph Smith's Pearl of Great Price, the book of Abraham. This stuff is pure imagination. And they say so because we can't trust the facts that don't exist in our religion. We're going to put feelings first. And so what they do is they have everything's emotive. Everything is about emotion. You go into the Relief Society. They put beautiful flowers in a nice lace tablecloth. Oboe music is playing. And, and people start weeping and crying about the, the spirit is so strong. But it's just feelings. Where's the facts? It's just like Robbie called. I know it's true. I don't care about anybody else. I know. And that's just, it's just like brainwashing, man. Get facts. Find out if that merits your faith. And then go with the feelings. Okay, on air, what do you think, um, when you went on your mission, would you have changed your mind on going if someone had given you more information about the church? The caller has a stepson leaving on a mission soon. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I was fairly ignorant when I went on the mission about all the stuff about the church. In fact, I was really ignorant. And... Um, but the social pressure at that time in my life to go, it, I may have just put it away. However, I'm certain it would have planted seeds in my heart that would have germinated over the course of my uh, mission and it would have helped. So I don't think you can go wrong with providing people with utlm.org's uh, address or giving them some material that is beneficial and they might look at it and throw it away, but you're planting some seeds. Kyle in Clearfield, first time caller, is uh, on line four. And another good question coming up. Kyle, you're on Heart of the Matter. Um, yes, I had a, a question for you. It's, uh, it's good to, to talk to you and get uh, another advice from somebody other than, um, you know, uh, family members and whatnot. I have a friend that I grew up with, uh, you know, all through life. She was raised LDS. Her family's really LDS. Uh, she really, you know, kind of went away from the church. And I have really found faith in, in the one true God, Jesus Christ. And uh, she starts asking me questions about it lately, and um, she's getting really excited about who God is. But how do I, as, as a follower of God, show her the best way to meet the true Jesus without, you know, trying to feel like uh, I'm, I'm downing her religion or, or uh, trying to pull her away from her family? It's a really good question, Kyle. And you know, I wouldn't know the answer to this question had four Christian people not come into my life while I was still LDS and helped me understand the technique or a method to use to kind of let me see the truth. The first one is don't even talk about Mormonism. Leave that up to the idiots like me on TV or whatever to do that. Don't need, I mean, unless she brings it up in questions, that's fine. But she, her defenses are up on Mormonism. So just make the whole conversation about Jesus. Second thing is constantly repeat to her, don't trust me, don't trust this. You take it to God and you ask him. You just take it and just say, Lord, please show me. Open my eyes, open my ears to your truth. That's all I'm asking you to do, whatever your name is. Just take it and ask him to do it. And then thirdly, 
I would open up the scripture and I would read, for instance, the Gospel of John and just start with John 1, 1 and read a verse and it's not a race and just say, what does it mean, my friend, when it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. All things were made by Him and without Him was not anything uh, that was made that was made and the Word was made flesh. What do you think that means? And just gently go about that, that way and let, pray that the Holy uh, Spirit will come in and convert her and it's out of your hands. It's not your job to convert, it's the Lord's and He'll do it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. I mean, I've gone, you know, to school, uh, you know, to, to theology school and stuff like that, but they don't teach you that kind of stuff there. They teach you about God. They don't really teach you yeah. about how to uh, uh, go against uh, what you know is cultish. And um, uh, I really appreciate your feedback. Uh, God bless you for what you're doing. We love you out here, and uh, I hope you be around for a long time. Thanks, Kyle. God bless you. Appreciate right. it. When we ask the operators, is John in Kansas City the John who called last week? I'm going to answer this question. Why do, tell John we can't take his call. Why do you think Christians are converting to Mormonism is a question on the screen. It's a really good question, and I'm going to be really brutally frank right now, okay? We got churches where the pastors and their staff are really bent on getting bigger. And in order to get bigger, you got to keep people entertained. And in order to keep people entertained on Sunday, by golly, you got to share some of the Bible because they want to hear that. But you got to keep them laughing. You got to keep them hearing stories. You got to uh, keep them up on the current events of the world. Oh, and you got to talk about Dan Brown's, the uh, demons and angels. And, and you got to cover all this stuff because, boy, that's going to help them. And what happens is these churches get bigger and bigger and they're filled with Christians who do nothing but eat cotton candy. And so they're sitting in their house and here comes the Mormon missionaries and they're bright eyed and bushy tailed and they're polite and they're handsome and they're charming and they present gospel and they give them answers that seem so amazing that they're not getting in those Christian churches that are fat, dumb and happy. And so they, they hear this from the Mormons and they start to get brought in. And then the Mormons say, hey, you need to just really see if you feel this. Well, they can get you to feel things. I mean, you can really feel stuff if you want it. So you feel the spirit they're talking about. Pretty soon you're and you're a Mormon. And, and by the time you're in there a few years, you're going through the temple and you're doing blah, blah, blah stuff. And, and it's just someone really like that. And, and you're totally sucked in and your kids are in it, and it's too late to get out, and so the cycle just keeps going. So it's the Christian church's fault. I'm not there's so many good pastors, so many that teach the Word of God in this state and outside of it, many, but there are some, and they just can't wait to fill their pockets with more cash, more people, bigger, 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 and all they get are just dumb congregants. So, okay, uh, uh, where are we? All right, another question. Phone lines, we got one line open, the other three are busy, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Stephen from Albuquerque, New Mexico, it seems like Mormonism moves with the times, but sits back about 10 or 15 years. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, if we look at polygamy, 
they abolished it, of course, uh, but it took a long process. The manifesto was 1890. It was a long time before they finally got rid of it, probably about a 15-year period before they finally put their step. Uh, blacks in the priesthood. I mean, the, uh, Stanford refused to play BYU in basketball because of the LDS's stance on that ridiculous thing. And that was in the 60s, and it wasn't until 76 or 78. 78 that they actually changed it so they are they're behind there they wait and uh, they wait till it gets uh, uh, opportunistic and so it doesn't look like they've caved into pressure so it appears like a real revelation came to change it their hair their dress their music all of that is kind of uh, you go to their steak dances they're still playing abba and and uh and journey right now and so they're they're about 15 years behind on that but they catch up and they what are they catching up with the world they are definitely catching up with the world. Let me give you a really quick thing while we're, uh, more uh, uh, calls are being cleared. If you look at the architecture of Mormonism, it's an amazing parallel to where they are in their minds. Joseph Smith was a shaman. He went out into the woods and he received revelation and came back. And so their architecture was very shaman-like. They were mobile. They, they were poor. They didn't have much. Well, Brigham Young comes in and Brigham Young is like a, a master magical guy. He believes in all these things. He's seen spirits. So what's the first thing they really build that's, that's true? You look at the Salt Lake Temple and you look at the handcraftedness of this magical period. And that magical period lasted in Mormonism from about the time Brigham Young did it all the way till about David O. McKay. Now, LDS people who are watching, they know David O. McKay was the last prophet, and that guy was kind of a trip. He used to wear all white suits, you know? That's just so trippy. And, and, he, and he was just a different kind of man that was still in the magical age of Mormonism. Well, from that point forward, the, the Mormon church became very clerical. And so these guys started donning their business suits and they started becoming very, uh, the prophet became more of a president than a prophet and it became an institution. And so you look at the buildings, everything started to become institutionalized and cookie cutter, like a McDonald's. I mean, they all look the same and they all started feeling the same thing. At that point in time, the steeple, which was once connected to the buildings, the chapels, and, and what it symbolized was revelation from heaven to the chapel, to the leadership there, it became removed from the building and now it sticks out there like a phallic symbol in the middle of the lawn. And the reason for that is it's saying we are removing this local power of you to receive revelation for the congregation. That is no longer tied to your church. It now comes from Salt Lake City, the, the corporate headquarters, the flagship. Well, in the last phase that we're in right now, it's more of an open arms thing. And you start to see the temple. The, the San Diego temple has windows. You're on the freeway. You can actually see in the thing and back out of it because it has windows and it's open arm. Their architecture reflects the phase that they're in. And almost every large religious institution goes through these things. The Catholics did. Guess what the final phase is? Erosion. They can't maintain Shows like this, truth comes out and they can't maintain it. And so it will begin to crumble and they will loosen up their standards. And so that's when Christianity again will dominate and snatch those people and bring them to the truth. So we're just fighting something now and we're helping it along and God will do his work and he's in charge and Mormonism will fall. Okay. Do Mormons pray to the heavenly mother? Only the liberal radical ones. Um, they, uh, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley came up and said he did not believe anybody should ever pray to Heavenly Mother, but they certainly sing about her and they talk about her and she is a, an icon within the church. So we talked about that. All right. Phone lines are, are full. Keep trying. Operators, tell the operators, hurry up. 
All right, now we are going to uh, Loyona in West Valley City. She says, what is it about the Sabbath? My dad says we must obey it. Uh, what do you think? My Christian friends say it's a day to go to church, but that's all. Hi, I'm really rambling tonight. I'm sorry, but we don't have uh, callers up and the operators are getting through them. So here it is, the Sabbath day. The Jews, under the law, burdened. So they go, the uh, first day of the week, Sunday. That's not their Sabbath. And they are under the law all the way till Friday night. Sa Sabbath comes. And guess what? It's a day of rest. That's their Sabbath. They get to rest from that sundown all the way to sundown the following uh, day. And so that's their Sabbath. And, and, and they get to rest from being under the burden of the law. All right? And it's an eternal thing. And if they didn't, uh, with the Jews, and if they didn't obey that Sabbath, they would be killed in the Old Testament. That was a Saturday, the last day of the week. Saturday is the Sabbath. It's the only Sabbath day there is. The LDS walk around, they call Sunday the Sabbath day. It's not. It never has been. It never will be. Sunday now, when Jesus was resurrected, becomes the first day of the week. And Christians congregate together with like-minded believers. And what it is, it's symbolic of, hey, we start our week now with Jesus and we springboard out into the rest of our week with him behind us. And we rest in him, not in a day of the week. Jesus said, come unto you all that are heavy laden and that labor and I will give you rest. So our rest is in him daily, hourly, minute by minute, not in a day of the week like the Jews were under the law. So it's a total farce. The other farce about it in terms of Mormonism is that they pick and choose when they're going to obey it or not. Now, I fly a lot in and out of this town, and I see very noted, uh, well-groomed Latter-day Saints and their families getting on planes, going on vacation on Sundays. And they have no problem whooping it up like they do on any other day of the week while they're on vacation. But for some reason, when they get back home and they're within the perimeters of their ward, they become Sabbath keepers again. It's a joke. It's a mockery. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, keep it. It's Saturday. Start it Friday night. Obey it like it says. If you're going to keep it, do it. But don't call Sunday the Sabbath day. We are going to Mike in San Diego, first-time caller. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Doing well, Mike. How are you? Good, thank you. I have a question. The Garden of Eden... Eden why do Mormons believe the Garden of Eden was in Missouri? <laughs> oh, God. I am so glad you called, Mike. We're, we're talking about things that the LDS bring up to make themselves different and distant from these barbaric Christians who look at a cross. Well, this is a big one. They taught that the Garden of Eden was in Independence, I think Independence, Missouri. And, right. uh, and that's because Joseph Smith literally believed he could get away with saying almost anything. And Mormonism is an Americana religion, and they essentially believe that they are um, the people of Zion, and that this right. is the New Jerusalem, and that it all started back here in Missouri, and it just came from revelation from Joseph. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Another okay, great that, one that's is that... that it all came from Joseph Smith and his, uh, his uh, delusional yeah. state of mind. Yeah, and they believe it. You know, what a lot of Latter-day Saints don't know is that the flood... Uh, the, the Ark came out of Missouri, too. You're kidding me. They believe that. Now, LDS don't know that, but it's part of their doctrine, part of what Joseph taught. So, you know, what do you do? Oh, my goodness, absolutely. You have a friend that's LDS, and I share with her all the time, and 
I just recently shared a lot of history about Justice Smith, about the about the Masons, and uh, about his history and all that. And she says, I really don't care about all that. I have my testimony. Yeah. And it's all based on her testimony of the LDS. Isn't it amazing? And that's what she holds on to. Yeah. Is her testimony, and it's just uh, really disturbing and bothering. But still yeah. a good friend of mine, still love her, and I still share with her all the time. That's all we can do, my friend. Good job. Absolutely, Sean. Appreciate it, Mike. Well, thank you very much, Sean. Have a good evening. Okay, love you too. Bye, bye. Yeah, you know that testimony thing. It's like uh, it's like being it's like when you're pulled over by a cop. You know, you're, and the cop being the Christian, and the Christian questions you, you say, I have my license. You know, I, this is me, I have my license. It's just like a, it's a thing they take out and show you, and this is what they rely on. And it's, it's horrible, because it's not based in fact. In fact, they got that license from Knott's Berry Farm from a machine. It, it, it doesn't work, but they think it does. I'm so sorry. Listen, we got, we're going to Carla, who's LDS from Orem. Carla, you're on Heart of the Matter. You only have a minute and a half. Okay, I can call next week. Well, try to do it now, Carla. Okay. You're on the air. All right. Oh, we got one of these. Carla, you're on the air right now. All right. I just want to talk about uh, your comment regarding what uh, church service, etc., is like on Sunday. Yeah. And uh, you just said um, basically, you know, demons and evil, etc., I'm not certain I quite understand your your attitude either um, with respect that you said, you know, you'd been a missionary. This is my first time catching you. Oh. And then you know the 11th article of faith, which is, you know, obviously we're supposed to respect each other. And uh, I don't understand the negativity. Why, well, why at any time in history world history have we been able to prove anything ever oh we we prove things all the time carla uh-huh okay yeah, that's that's a that's a relativist opinion that came about with postmodern philosophical thought and it's full of holes i mean we prove things all the time so well, and i don't see it that way well i, I know you don't because you're a relativist so how could you but you know what, I really do, we only have one minute left, I really do want you to call back, and I want Sue and Ed from Taylorsville to call back. Carla, call back next week, and I want to address what you brought up. Okay, will do. Have a good evening. Thanks so much. You too. Uh-huh, bye. Bye-bye. All right, we'll continue that on when we can. Next week, friends, we're going to delve into one of the most hotly debated subjects between Mormons and Bible-believing Christians, the Trinity. The G and uh, of God. Was Jesus God? Who did Jesus speak with when he prayed? Can we become gods? All of this on Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. If you have questions or comments, feel free to email us at sean at aletheamedia.com or call us at 1-888-868-4686. We will, if we don't answer, get back to you with your calls and questions. Until then... God bless you. Seek him. Ask him to open your eyes. And we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my.
break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. I'm gonna break my rusty cage.